0: What is up guys? This is Rob Pearsall joined as always by Alex Carigliano Michelli and we are here to bring you the newest episode of the Mets Legends cast. Alex how are you doing today? What's new and what's your favorite style of pasta?
1: I just want to um I hate that you come up with these random questions right before recording. I don't know if I was going to get hit with a favorite pasta. How do I even respond to that? Uh, so a few things. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. What's going on with me? Uh, you know, I, uh, by day, I am a school teacher. So we're just ramping up for the school year again. Favorite pasta. I like, um, in terms of the noodles, I, I just like, I love a good bucatini. It's like a thicker spaghetti noodle, you know? Uh, hollowed out i mean really if you haven't had a bucatine uh what are you getting at and i th- I might i might have mentioned it before but i really do love a good uh cacio e pepe you know it's pretty much just italian mac and cheese just cheesy parmesan fresh ground pepper i really can't think of anything more that i would ask for that's all i want if um uh, our listeners out there, if you could send in a cacio e pepe to to Rob and I, uh, and we could we could grade your cacio e pepes and we'll rate them on the podcast. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, just make sure you send it with an ice box so that it is nice and fresh.
0: Those are some good pasta choices, Alex. If I had to choose my favorite, I think I would choose tortellini. Big tortellini guy. I like the filling. Also, Alex and I went to the same college as you guys know, and there was a 24-hour deli called Convenient Deli in our town, and they had this really, really good cold tortellini salad where it was like the tortellini tossed in some sort of like vinaigrette, perhaps, but it was really, really good.
1: Rob, I can't believe you just brought up convenient tortellini salad to me. Like You come into my house, you come into my apartment, and you mention convenience totally salad first of all anyone listening in the greater new paltz area uh if you could go to the corner of maine and uh whichever and go to uh, convenient deli uh get a sponsorship try to get a sponsored by them i i love convenient and rob i have gotten many a drunk totally tortellini salads from from convenient you're dead on there
0: that was the perfect
1: drunk food
0: New Paltz had some pizzerias that were open late, one in particular that was open till I'd say, 4 a.m., but Convenient Deli was the move. That was the place where reality just felt super altered, where you'd walk in and the lights were super bright, and everyone's really drunk in there, just getting all of their snacks for the rest of the evening, maybe some more beer. But their tortellini salads, and they also had some good stuff, too. Like I feel like they had like mac and cheese and like chicken tenders that you can kind of get that were just pre-prepared. Really good, like, college food. I think now I would maybe pass away if I ate that. I'd feel so terrible. But when you're 20, 21 years old, like, that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't really affect you as much. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Tortellini. Uh, and, yeah, we're going to try to get that sponsorship from Convenient Deli. We will use all the Hawk dollars that we need to get what we need. So Alex and I are joining you guys right now, or you guys are joining us, rather, on this Wednesday late afternoon The Mets are slated to play the Los Angeles Dodgers in game two of the three-game set. Jacob deGrom is taking the hill for the Mets tonight against Tyler Anderson, who was a target for the Mets this past winter and at last year's trade deadline. He's put together a nice season, sub-three ERA for for the Dodgers this year, and I think he has 13 wins too. Everything that the Dodgers touch really turns to gold, but how are you feeling about this series, Alex, and what have you kind of noticed about where the Mets are at, it seems like in some some ways their flaws have come a little bit more to the surface. So with the about a month left in the season, you know, what are your thoughts on some things?
1: So I might be in the um, I might be in the what do you call it? I'm not in the majority here, uh, as one would say, I'm in the minority here. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm not actually concerned about the Dodgers lineup. I mean, they have that crazy murderer's row, one through three. And then the rest of the lineup is full of solid guys that can get you a random home run or get on base and let the le- next guy drive them in. I mean, they had the likes of Joey Gallo batting fifth. Joey Gallo is batting fifth for the Dodgers right now. It's just, what a world. But yeah, that aside from that top three guys, I'm not really super concerned by them. And I still think we match up fine against them. It's just the fact that Taiwan Walker might be in his um, second half mode again right now. And, you know, aside from that nasty third inning uh, was decent enough kind of all over the place. But I think we fare well um, and I- I'm going to be so for real and ever the optimist, even if we go even if we just win tonight's game with Jacob deGrom on the hill and then lose tomorrow's game as well with uh, Kershaw coming back. I feel comfortable enough. Um, my deepest concern, though, with the Dodgers and how we match up against them is the fact that they boast so many lefties and that we've historically – I don't know why I, I added historically there, but the fact that this season we just haven't hit lefties very well. And I, I still don't think we're prepared very well uh, to match up against a lefty, especially in the playoffs. And they have three of them right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the real t- last tough test for the Mets this season. I mean, they do play the Braves one more time, which is going to be an important set at the end of the season. Obviously, you want the Mets to be able to win the division because that gives them a lot more flexibility come postseason time. It gives them some more time to rest if they get that first round bye. Uh, If you guys aren't familiar with the new playoff format, the the top two division winners by record have a bye in the first round. And then the four wild – the three wild card teams – and the other division winner will face off against each other in a three-game set and then advance beyond that. So that's pretty much how it works. So the Mets really want to try to win the division so they don't have to go up against the Dodgers perhaps in the NLDS and also have to play a wild-card series where they're going to be a lot more tired having to play more games. So uh, thankfully the Mets have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way on paper. Obviously you have to play the game still. But the Mets have, I think, two more series against the Pirates. They haven't played them at all yet, so they play one here and one away. The Cubs come into town, so the Cubs will be here for a three-game set, I believe. They go out to Oakland. They play Milwaukee for three, which also another pretty decent team. And I think they play the Nationals again, maybe the Marlins one more time. But on paper, the Mets have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. Uh, some injury updates really quickly. We have uh, Tyler McGill who is going to be starting a rehab assignment on Thursday with Binghamton and then drew Smith and Luis Guillerme on Sunday, not announced where yet, but they will be starting rehab assignments as well as uh, in regards to McGill. He will be throwing five games in his rehab starts over probably a span of a week or two. You'd imagine probably closer to two weeks. So You project that he'll probably be back sometime mid-September if everything goes as planned. And then Guillaume and Drew Smith, we'll see what happens with that. But it's good to see that these guys are going to be back sooner rather than later, hopefully. Uh, And then other injury updates beyond that, you have Brett Beatty who got imaging done on his thumb. Hopefully the Mets have avoided the worst of that. He jammed his finger the other day. But as of right now, no injury updates. Carlos Carrasco will be – Slated to pitch this weekend against the Washington Nationals. And the only other injury I can really think of is Dan Vogelback, who I think that the Mets probably should injure, put on the injured list at this point. It seems like he's had a nagging injury. So we'll see what happens. But that's kind of where we're at in regards to that. But, Alex, I know you wanted to talk about this in specific, but Brandon Nimmo obviously has had some some difficulties at the top of the lineup Uh, in recent weeks. So Alex had brought this point up about perhaps moving Jeff McNeil up in the lineup a little bit. So Alex, I'm going to let you take it away and kind of break this down for us a bit.
1: Okay, so we all remember when Brendan Nimmo was hurt as he often was back in the day and they had Jeff McNeil batting leadoff back in uh, 2019. So I was looking at the stats today and I have two candidates because obviously we, we all know that Brandon Nimmo is not having the ideal year. Obviously, he's having a much better uh, contract year than Conforto did, but he's not up to his uh, career standards. So Overall, for his career, Nimmo's has an OPS of, I think, about 820, 821, which is pretty solid. It's obviously bolstered by a higher on-base percentage. He usually is tops, or at least top five in the league in terms of outfielders up there with the likes of you might have heard of him, Mike Trout. Uh, but this year is a little lower, and he has a, only a 770 OPS, although he does seem like he's getting a little better recently with an 803 OPS in his last 15 games. But 803 is still below his career norms and can be bolstered by the better game here or there, which brings us to McNeil. So McNeil, as, as we've all seen, is having a stellar month of August. So in 28 games played in August, he has 42 hits, which is just three shy of tying the Mets record for hits in August. Um, I forget who it was that he was going to tie with, but a Mets legend indeed. Uh, but 28 games. So in those 28 games, he has 42 hits. Of those 42 hits, 32, uh, 13 of them are doubles, with an additional two home runs. So that's 15 extra base hits, no triples. Uh, and that goes with 14 runs scored and 11 RBIs and only four walks. But we know that we all know that McNeil doesn't really walk much. He just happens to always make contact in almost like a Vladimir Guerrero type of way without the power. Um, so that gives his August slashes to a 396 average, 425 on base percentage, 575 slugging and an overall OPS of 1,000. That goes along with his um, post-All-Star break stats of a 933 OPS. Uh, really, he's been one of the best hitters in the league in the second half. He's a huge value to the second half of our order, which is why I'm not going to push this so thoroughly. He really does deepen our lineup having him down there. The fact that somebody on base, somebody on second, having a couple people on third, you could tell that he's either, he's either going to move them up a base or drive them in. Have, having him down there has been really helpful. But deciding to go a little bit further into his splits, he's has pretty even splits. He has a 797 OPS versus lefties. And as a lefty himself, that's really hard. And we all know our struggles against lefties this season. So having someone... Who could hit that well against lefties as a left-handed hitter is huge. No need to platoon him. And he has an 8.42 OPS versus righties. So it's pretty even. So now we get to how is he doing this year? What stats can we discern from of his this year that could make him an obvious choice to lead off? Well, thanks to, um, thanks to MLB.com, I was able to decipher these stats. So when the bases are empty, as the bases would usually be when leading off, unless some freak occurrence, uh, he has an 823 OPS when the bases are empty. And I'm always going to use OPS because I just think it's the most comprehensive stat to cite. So I'm, I'm always going to stick with that. So he has an 823 OPS when the bases are empty. In the first inning, he does have only a 594 OPS, which is some, uh, still a little bit better than... Um, than, than Nito, but so bad. But usually, if he's batting in the first inning at this point, it's because the inning has gone long, and it's sometimes hard in those extended innings to keep it going. So I'm, I'm going to ignore that stat. But when batting first this year, he does have an 844 OPS. When leading off an inning, he has an 817 OPS. These are all things that would lend to him being a very effective... Leadoff hitter. Think of having Jeff McNeil hitting the way he is right now, which you know he has a pretty high slugging right now in the month of August. Like I said earlier, five seventy-five. That's really, really good. That's bolstered by all of his doubles. He puts the ball in play. This isn't like some freak lucky occurrence because he's going to have a high bit with this as well. But the fact that he always puts the ball in play—that increased volume of balls being hit into the field, into the field of play is going to lead to a higher BABIP no matter what, just because the volume increases. And he's a guy who puts the ball where people aren't usually. That's just McNeil's game. There's no luck involved in that. Steven Strider, no. What's his Not name? Sure. Spencer Strider, if you're listening, you could go you could go suck eggs, first of all. Uh, so this isn't luck. So he's going to put the ball in play. So you could guarantee him. You can't guarantee anybody. But he's a very high likelihood of getting on base to set the stage for Marte, Lindor, Alonso, to drive him in. He's a pretty solid base runner. He He's not as fast as Nimo, and he doesn't have as high of a walk rate as Nimmo, but he hits better than him. So you could guarantee, it kind of like balances off. The only downside I could even imagine here in this scenario is where you put Nimo. I think having an even trade-off of Nimmo Going to bat sixth and McNeil going back to first makes a lot of sense. You could even make an argument for Marcana, who they've batted lead off a few times this year as well. Maybe against a left-handed batter as a right-hander himself. Although I just think that McNeil makes more sense. So uh, you know, the only downside here is I don't think Nimmo and his skill set would be as effective in the bottom half of the order, especially when you you would take out he's someone who gets on base. He's not someone who drives them in. So you move him in the bottom of the order. And now if McNeil is batting first, who do you have to bring him in? I mean, Beatty, he could hit the ball hard. Although really the sample size is getting a little bigger now, and maybe he's not ready for the bigs just quite yet. Maybe Viento should be up here instead right now, but that's a debate maybe for another episode. But what is McCann going to take him in? James McCann did what? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I trust him to bring him in. So that is the only argument I could think of right now of keeping McNeil, uh, where he is in the order and Nemo up top. Obviously, Marcana has been on fire this, um, this month as well. He did just hit his 100th career home run yesterday to, um, bring us closer in the game. Um, been really happy. I I mean, I'm a big fan of Marcana, but so that's the end of my argument. Uh, Rob, w- what do you think about this? Am I, am I being too reactionary to the Mets like recent losses right now?
0: No, I don't think so, Alex. I think that the Mets need a little bit of a shake up offensively anyway. Brett Beatty obviously has had a little bit of growing pains in regards to debuting and I don't think Beatty really would have even been up if it weren't for the injuries to Eduardo Escobar and Luis Giorme and Jeff McNeil being banged up. But I like, I think that Beatty is a guy who's going to be really excellent. I just think it's a matter of when, not if this year might not be that when, but we'll see. And I think that your, your mid season acquisitions, Tyler Naquin, Darren Ruff, Dan Vogelback have kind of slowed down a little bit, unfortunately. So I think that you really do need to see some shakeup here in the lineup. So I think that there's nothing wrong with maybe moving Nemo down and moving McNeil up. And those guys are both really excellent players, and I think that they're adaptable as well. So I think that if you're going to do that, I think that those guys will will really st- or potentially perform in a better way or at least let them que- clear their heads a little bit, more in regards to Nemo than McNeil. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that with the offense being a little bit – I wouldn't say worrisome, but maybe just kind of in a little bit of a funk right now. Shaking things up like that is not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, you need your Francisco Lindores and your Pete Pete Alonso's of the world to really carry this offense. But I think there's still things that can be done and just see what happens. Sometimes if you throw crap against the wall, it sticks. So I don't have any, any problem with that. But yeah, like we were saying, the Mets have a couple hard series left this year but overall the schedule is pretty favorable favorable for them I know a lot of Mets fans are being reactionary right now when it comes to the Mets not playing well against the Dodgers and it's not even like the Mets didn't really play well I mean they lost four to three Taiwan Walker had that one not so great inning Joey Rodriguez has issues this year I mean he's probably not going to be back next year but I know a lot of Mets fans keep beating a dead horse about the Mets not doing enough of the trade deadline. And I get it. I think that they didn't come away with that big bat that I think a lot of fans wanted. They didn't tap into the quote unquote robust market. Like Billy Epler said was going to be a thing, but this is the team that they have, whether you like it or not. I don't mean to say it like that, but this is what we have right now. And the Mets are still a very good team. They might not be perfect. They may be flawed. They're going to go to the playoffs. And once you go to the playoffs, You have Chris Bassett, you have Jacob DeGrom, and you have Max Scherzer who are going to lead the rotation. That's as good as a rotation as anybody could ask for. And then beyond that, you're probably going to go with a four-man rotation. So one of Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, maybe even David Peterson are going to be your fourth guy. But overall, I think this Mets team is still talented. And I think that if you go into a postseason, anything can happen. And so I wouldn't worry too much about this one August series against the Dodgers I think the Mets should have done more at the trade deadline. Absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. I just think that we're kind of beating a dead horse at this at this point. Yes, I think the front office needs to be held accountable to a degree, but this is what we have right now. And this is the best Mets team that we've seen in quite some time. So let's just let it rock and let's see what happens because that's really all we could do. You
1: know, I'm, gl- I'm really glad you um, brought all that up. And <laughs> I love it when people bring up Billy Epler's robust bullpen market remarks because, I mean, it is really insane the fact that after making those remarks, the only guy we brought in, the only true big league guy that we brought in was Michael Givens, who had a solid, had a solid two innings yesterday of work. It it feels like he has like a couple solid outings and then blows up. I also always feel like he always comes in with men on base and it's never, it's never a situation that, that works for him. But as a reliever, you have to be able to hold guys. And on the same time, I mean, think about it. We did keep all of our top guys. Honestly, the only of those top guys that I think is remotely expendable is Ryan Mauricio, who does project well. He hits the bar, he hits the ball hard. I mean, I think he had a 500-foot home run just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he, he does project to be a real good guy. He just has to cut down on the strikeouts. Uh, but we still have Mark Vientos. I still think, I don't think bringing up Mark Vientos would mean that we don't believe in Darren Ruff. I believe in Darren Ruff as a quality big leaguer, but I do think we need more people who can hit left-handed guys. And I think Mark Vientos, in lieu of Brett Beatty, who I think will have the better career, might have the best career out of any of our prospects right now, even better than uh, Francisco Alvarez, who's who's standing as a prospect is. I don't want to say mostly because of his being a catcher, but the fact that him being so good offensively as a catcher, so it boosts him more. But the most overall quality player that we have is Brett Beatty, and he is going to be great. But like Rob said, he's only up because of Escobar and Guillermo's injury, and I really do think that having Vientos up right now, maybe even giving him a shot at third, all the scouting reports say that he's really not a good defender. But just finding a place for him – in the lineup, maybe Ruff could play third. He has some some slight some don't quote me some slight defensive versatility, but I I, I would like to see Vientos up. He is definitely a, a candidate to be called up. But you're probably looking at a starting lineup next year that includes from from day one Francisco Alvarez as our starting catcher and Brett Beatty as our starting third baseman with Mark Vientos being a guy who's probably plugged in semi regularly as either a DH, outfield or first base type whenever they find a way to throw him in. So we have that depth and we do need more um prospect depth as well. Like kind of hold on to some of these guys, maybe even hold on to them for a better future deal. I mean, we do have a lot of pitchers, Rob, uh coming up coming up this offseason after after the season ends who are going to be free agents and we are going to need to replenish. And I don't know if it's super plausible, even with the way we like to spend to sign, to re-sign, or assign all these guys as free agents. We might, there's going to be more trades in the horizon is what I'm getting at. So I I really do think it's important to look at that angle.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right about that. I was kind of looking at the free agent class going into this off season yesterday and there's not really a whole lot of players that really fit the Mets' needs. And some of the best free agents actually are Mets already. So you have your Jacob DeGroms. You have your Edwin Diaz's. You have your Brandon Nimmo's, your Chris Bassett's. Those are some of the top guys on the market this year. Other than that, you have Carlos Correa and Dan Zb. Swanson, Xander Bogarts, who maybe the Mets could want to bring on a guy like Bogarts if you're going to play him somewhere else besides shortstop. But the Mets are going to have to retain some of these guys. I don't know if they're going to be able to retain all of them, but they're going to have to retain some of these guys, and they're going to have to hit the trade market. And I think I understand, and or I understand where some of that frustration lies. Of okay, maybe the Mets should have done more with the uncertainty of who's going to be on the team next year. Because I think about that too. I mean, I wonder if Jacob Degrom will be back. I don't really know. I wonder if I wonder if Edwin Diaz will be back or Brandon Nimmo will be back. I don't really know. But, you know, I think that's why this season is really important. And I think that the Mets still have a chance to go really far this winter, this winter, (laughs) this fall, rather. Um, But we'll see what happens. I, I think that the Mets, their main priority really should be their bullpen going into next year, because you will have your Brett Beatty and your Francisco Alvarez on the opening day lineup next year. In my opinion, I think both of those guys, even if they just have decent springs, will be, on that opening day roster. So
1: and that brings me back to another point you mentioned earlier in regards to our postseason rotation. At this point with Taiwan, I think the only th- the only thing that kept Taiwan in the game yesterday is the fact that he has such flummoxing. Yep, write that down. I used the word flummoxing. He has such flummoxing stuff where his location was all over the place yesterday. But when he's able to hit you with that with that fastball and then get you with that splitter. He's really able to find some hitters off balance and and get some some bad swings. So, that's really the only thing that kept him going because his location was awful yesterday. He's mixed, m- missing wide and inside the whole game. So, I mean, this is kind of going in line with second half Taiwan. He's much better than he was last year in the second half. Much better cuz he was he was unwatchable last summer. And, I mean, I've been, like, banging this drum since the spring in anticipation of second-half tie that I really do see his role in the postseason as a bullpen guy. When you think of having Tywin Walker and the stuff that he brings in a focused, like, one-to-two-inning role, I mean, he could go longer than that if he has to, and, and, you know, God forbid we have a bad start from one of our starters, but he could be a really valuable guy in the bullpen. And when you when you keep listening to all this... We keep mentioning a lot of our guys, a lot of our starters being in the bullpen. We're talking about Tyler McGill. We're talking about uh, Joey Lucchese, who had another scoreless outing that's three in a row um, as part of his rehab starts. He's going to be back soon, and he's going to be a nasty left-handed guy in the bullpen with that, uh, what was it, a slurve or churve? churve? The churve. He has the churve. He's going to be really electric in our bullpen, which kind of leaves us with either Carlos Carrasco or i mean heavens forbid even ai don't i don't know why i said that i think i'm trying to be funny but uh a david peterson as our fourth guy i think i sincerely think he's um in the running to be our fourth uh rotation guy for the postseason i think carrasco is the guy you turn to first because not only is he still a, an effective pitcher but he has that postseason veteran experience but i think um it could be matchup dependent. If you're going up a team that has really ugly splits against a left-handed pitcher, that might be the opportunity to at least start with David Peterson. And maybe you piggyback, maybe you throw in Carrasco later or, you know, whatever. But I think Peterson's definitely proven himself. And when you think about all those extra guys that we mentioned, let alone drew Smith coming back soon, that adds some serious length to our bullpen. And even if, uh, Joey Lucchese is the only like legitimate left-handed guy. I mean, I'm saying that right now, not having seen him in the bullpen, but a lot of guys seem to rally around Joey Lucchese last year. So, or was it two years ago at this point? Either way, yeah, last year, yeah. So I'm really excited about him coming up. And I, I'm not, the bullpen sometimes is hard to watch, but when we have all of our guys, like when we're able to set it up the right way, have our 7, 8, 9 guys going in, have an Adovina going 8th, Diaz going ninth. Sometimes able to go extra innings, like above that. Um, the way Drew Smith pitched earlier in the year, and the fact that now he's had a bit of a layoff, maybe he comes in looking better. Um, Seth Lugo has been looking really great recently. I'm not panicking about our bullpen. We could have done more. We could have an exceptionally elite bullpen as opposed to a really good bullpen um, if we had gone to, about the deadline differently. But I'm not sweating it. I'm not sweating it.
0: And I think that's the thing that I'm trying to remind myself is that in a postseason, what you really need is you really need the offense to wake up. And I think they will. I think that Pete Alonzo sometimes tries to do a little bit too much at the plate, like you saw on on Tuesday night against the Dodgers, where he sometimes gets a little too overzealous at the plate. But these guys are very important, Lindor, Alonzo. And I think in a the postseason, they're gonna be more locked in than you see them now, hopefully. But the offense is gonna to have to step up, and then you're gonna have your starting pitching, like I mentioned, your Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, those type guys. You want them to go deep into ball games, and hopefully that will kind of mitigate how much your bullpen is being used anyway. But we'll see what happens. Um, I think that and like I said, I I understand the frustration, but Overall, once you get to a playoff, everybody – or the playoffs, rather, not a playoff. I think I meant to say a playoff series. Once you get to the playoffs, everybody's record is 0-0 and to start the playoffs. So you never really know what could happen. I think back to the 2019 Nationals, they didn't have a great bullpen that year, especially early in the season. That bullpen was kind of a disaster. So, And they ended up still winning, too. It's just a matter of who gets hot when. The Braves beat the Dodgers last year in the postseason. Let's not forget that. And the Dodgers were a great team last year, too. Obviously, they've added Freddie Freeman, and he's been great. But you just really never know. Even in 2015, I don't think the Mets were the best team that year, but they they won. You know, they they made it to the World Series that year. They beat the rest of the National League that year in the postseason. So,
1: you know, and I'm glad you brought up 2015 because so much of 2015, as we all remember, was built off of the success of Danny Murphy suddenly becoming one of the most prolific home run hitters in postseason history. Uh, Rob, I propose this question to you. Who, in our postseason run, who will be this year's Daniel Murphy? And my candidate, um, looking at what he's done the last few weeks, his changes, the fact that it's bringing more home run hits, I think that's got to be Mark Canna. Daniel Murphy was not a home run hitter. He was up there in the league. He was like top five in the league for you know many years as a doubles hitter with very low home run totals. I think he led the Mets one year in home runs with like ten. One of those awful, ugly seasons. Um, Mark Hanna is not a home run hitter. He's able to hit the home run as most major leaguers are able to do. But a recent adjustment that he's talked about recently. Um, I read an, an interview of his where he wasn't reading left handers right, and he noticed this especially when batting against Brad um, hand with the Phillies who he recognized was uh, historically a bad matchup for him and he he kept not succeeding. and so he looked at you know he he looked at game footage and he made an adjustment to kind of take a step back to give him an extra second to read that um, to read the pitch because I think he was having a hard time reading lefties and where the ball was coming from. And so he took an extra step back, widened his stance a little bit and steps back when the ball is thrown and that follow through. And it gives him better vision of that ball. And he's able to drive the ball now um, better and hit lefties as well as righties. He was a reverse splits guy um, earlier in the season and was losing bats against lefties um, even as a right-handed guy. So he should be able to to keep seeing that. And so with his current progress right now, he's able to drive the ball more and I mean, at so much more depth to our lineup. I've always been a Marcana guy and by always, I mean, since March.
0: Yeah. I think Mark is a good candidate for that Murphy type postseason. And I think that especially with some of the other guys like Darren Ruff, like Tyler Naquin kind of st- struggling a little bit, having Mark Hanna step up has been really huge for this offense. He's a guy that's always kind of got on base throughout his career. And especially this year, last year, that was kind of the appeal when the Mets brought him in is that he got on base, but I think with Canna, if he can perform like he has been, or at least to the degree that he has been in this postseason, that'll be a huge boost for the Mets' uh, postseason chances this year. I think a guy that I that we'll see have a good postseason is going to be Seth Lugo, not obviously a Daniel Murphy type because they're different players and they're different positions obviously so it's not exactly answering your question but I think that Seth Lugo is going to be a guy who's going to be very integral to the success of this bullpen in the postseason I think we've seen it a little bit more in recent weeks that he's become more of a reliable guy again his velocity is is right where you need it to be he looks like he looks like he has really good movement on his off-speed stuff and I think that you're starting to see flashes of that Seth Lugo from a few years ago so if you can have guys like Seth Lugo, Adam Atavino, and Edwin Diaz in the bullpen, if you could just get six, seven innings out of your guys like Scherzer, like Bassett, like DeGrom, that makes it so much easier to win ball games in the postseason. So that's what you have to hope for. And then you gotta hope that kind of beyond that, maybe like one or two of like Tyler McGill, if he comes back, Trevor May and Michael Givens can give you some meaningful innings if you have to dip into the bullpen a little bit earlier. So We'll see. One thing I wanted to bring up before we get out of here, since we pretty much covered everything in regards to the current state of the Mets, is I wanted to turn back the clock a little bit. This week in Mets history, the Mets traded Marlon Bird to the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for Dilson Herrera and Vic Black, along with John Buck, of course, he was in that deal. They did that this week in Mets history. Alex and I were talking about it a little bit before the podcast, and we were looking it up and if you guys remember taking getting into a time machine or nine years ago at this point, Marlon bird was actually traded on the day that the Mets were giving away his t-shirt at the stadium for a free shirt giveaway on the same exact day that he was traded. So the guy gets traded before the game and fans arrive at the stadium and they get a Marlon bird shirt. So really, I guess why I bring this up is because if anyone has the shirt, please reach out to me. Cause I would like to purchase it off of you at this point. But yeah, Marlon Byrd, he was a really good pickup for the Mets. So they picked him up. I think it was on a minor league deal going into the 2013 season. He had a couple down years in 2011 and 2012. He wasn't the same kind of guy that he had been. He had been suspended for steroids a few years before the Mets picked him up. And the Mets brought him in kind of on a whim. Obviously, before the Mets were really ready to compete, they didn't make it to the World Series until 2015. So 2013, they were still kind of in that rebuild mode. But Bird was a veteran that they brought in, and he ended up having a really, really good season for the Mets. I believe he played 117 games. He had 21 home runs with the Mets. And then he was worth 3.3 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. That was behind only Matt Harvey and David Wright for the team lead that year. And Daniel Murphy was right behind him at 3.1 wins above replacement you kind of look at the Mets past, at least in recent memory, I think of guys like R.A. Dickey, Marlon Bird, that were brought in on minor league deals that ended up being really, really good and productive members of the team. It doesn't happen that much with the Mets, though. I mean, the the Dodgers, since the Mets are playing them, we'll use them as an example. Everything they touch turns to gold. You look at someone like Trace Thompson, who played last night. He's had an amazing season so far with the Dodgers. And he was a guy who has been cast off by so many different teams. Andrew Heaney, another one who who the Mets faced last night, pitched for the Yankees last year, sure, pitched some years for the Angels, was moved around a lot. And they picked him up, and he's been really solid. He's been hurt this year, but... Guys like him, Tyler Anderson, they've picked up. They've been great. It doesn't happen all that much with the Mets. Hopefully, five, ten years from now where you're seeing the full picture of the Steve Cohen regime, that you'll see that these more shrewd moves are being made, that the Mets are maybe the East Coast Dodgers, but especially in the Wilpon era, these kind of moves didn't really pay off. A lot of times the Mets were bringing in these veteran players on albatross contracts that just did not produce. You look at your Michael Kodires of the world, your Jason Bays of the world. So to have a guy like bird come in and, and this time of this period of met, like when the Mets were rebuilding in the early part of the 2010s, it was actually pretty exciting because you were seeing them make some really shrewd moves. Sandy Alderson in his first time with the Mets was brought in to kind of work under a budget while being a smart money ball type guy like he was in Oakland. So you had R.A. Dickey that you were able to flip for Travis Darno and Noah Sindergaard and John Buck. And then John Buck along with Marlon Bird, you were able to flip to the Pirates for a guy like Vic Black who could throw 100 miles per hour and Dilson Herrera uh, a 19-year-old infielder who they later flipped for Jay Bruce. So these moves, while maybe Vic Black and Nelson Rear didn't pan out for the Mets, they were able to get other commodities in the future. These were the kind of smart moves that the Mets were making at that point. So hopefully you see that down the line. Hopefully they don't have to just trade those kind of guys. But if they could pick up guys like Trace Thompson, like your Marlon Birds, then that would be really great because that's kind of what builds a, a winning team. And also just Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, these guys were all guys that the Dodgers have just gotten so much out of. So I don't mean to talk about the Dodgers so much, but the Mets are playing them. So I figured it'd be a little apropos and Marlon bird kind of reminds me of that kind of player that the Dodgers would, would pick up and get the most out of them. So.
1: And no, it's actually very logical that you bring up the Dodgers, especially when you think of the person who brings up the Dodgers the most when talking about the Mets. And that is Steve Cohen, who wants the Mets to emulate the Dodgers and their organization. So it's not about just spending the money and being the top in payroll every year, but it's also about development and self-scouting and finding guys who aren't having great seasons and you're able to buy them on the low, but they have underlying good stuff. Andrew Heaney, I, there was an article in The Athletic, and I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about The Athletic, but he was a candidate who they saw what his stuff was. Um, the, type of num- the type of numbers he has on his on his pitches, and they identified him as someone who the Dodgers might want to go after because- and put that Dodgers touch on him and look at him. The Mets could be that type of organization as well. And Marlon Byrd is definitely the type of person who, when you look at and say, we need that type of success again, that type of bring that guy in and he's able to produce. When looking at all these other veterans who we've brought in in the past who didn't, Marlon Byrd, you know, like in lieu of um of old-timers day, and we all had such a fun time watching old-timers day and seeing how much fun that these guys had reminiscing about their Mets days and performing in front of a crowd that loves them. And I don't think we'll have an old-timers day every year, but there's sure to be more in the future for us. And so Rob and I were talking before the podcast about what guys, um, especially on some of these um, worse like post twenty tens teams that we'd like to see on like a an old timers day roster. Marlon Bird, I mean, he'd be such a great a great candidate to see in an old timers day because I I still get excited when talking about Marlon Bird. He was so good for us that year. The fact that he was traded in August and was still the had the third best uh, FanGraphs WAR uh, for the Mets that year is is incredible. Especially because as Rob pointed out, he was really bad the last few seasons. He had a breakout with the, um, like a, a renaissance with the Cubs, like in the early, like like maybe in like 2010, 2009, 2010, and then kind of fell off again, especially after that steroid suspension. But like, what other, and like, definitely tweet at us, tweet at us at Mets Legends um, on Twitter, like what, what Mets Legends you'd like to see on an Old Timers Day roster. Marlon Bird is definitely one. The person that I want to throw in is a Gary Sheffield who hit his, 400th home run with the Mets. 500th home run. Yo, my man Gary Sheffield hit his 500th home run with the Mets. That was uh Rob correcting me off the mic. Uh gosh. God, Gary Sheffield, he was someone he'd just love to watch in any at-bat. Uh I think every little league I wanted to emulate his at-bat. Um his at-bats. But Rob, what what a uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to throw in one more. I'd love to see him. Moises Alou. He had that one crazy season. Uh, where he was, I mean, he didn't qualify for the league lead in um in batting average because he missed too many games with with um with injury, and then they resigned to a ridiculous deal, and he wasn't able to live up to it because he was old and got hurt. But I would love to see a Moisés Alou because that's such a huge baseball family, anyway. Um, especially when you talk about the fact that you have, uh, if you didn't get this news, I feel like it kind of flew under the radar that they retired the number twenty four for Willie Mays. Um, at old-timers day even though he only played what was it two seasons with the Mets and it was not the Willie Mays the classic Willie Mays that you think of so the fact that they retired him is really cool uh so I so Rob I mentioned Gary Sheffield and Moises Alou uh who would you like to see at a Mets all-time um old-timers day
0: yeah it's a good question Alex and yeah I'm surprised we didn't talk about old-timers day at all but since we were on this topic, I mean, it was just so cool seeing Mike Piazza and Al Leiter and even guys like Dennis Cook back out there, Benny Agbayani, like just so many of those guys. And it was just so awesome. Obviously, I wasn't at the game. I was following along a little bit, but just seeing all these guys be introduced, Pedro Martinez, Bartolo Colon, like just how many people were there? How many people showed up for old timers day it just goes to show like what we love to do here in Mets Legends. It's just the, that history of the team. People love these guys. Jay Payton. Guys that maybe are not your household names in the grand scheme of things, but who can be brought up and you're saying yeah, I remember him. I, I loved watching him play. Gary Sheffield, I think, would be an awesome one. I loved him when he was on the Mets. Ramon Castro, I think, would be a really good one. Alex is clapping if you guys can't heard him. We were talking about how much we liked Ramon Castro at the big uh, off I think I don't think we were recording at the time. But before we started recording today, we are talking about Ramon Castro. I think he'd be a really good one. Jason Phillips, perhaps. Maybe another guy that would be good. You mentioned who else, Alex, besides Gary Sheffield? Moise Salou. Moise Salou would be a really nice one as well. I thought he was an excellent pickup for the Mets. Obviously, he had that really long hitting streak for the Mets that year. I think it was 30 games or so, but he was hurt. Um, David Wright, I think, is kind of the obvious answer. Maybe down the line we'll see him. He does have the back issue. I think that he's kind of enjoying his retirement, but if they do another one, it'd be really great to see David Wright. Uh, Mike Cameron, I think would be a great guy. I loved Mike Cameron as a Met. Some of these guys that were good, but maybe unheralded a little bit would be really fun to see. But I think that if you kind of combine those type of guys with the guys that are the bigger names, then you have this really diverse roster. And honestly, next time I'd like to see maybe them do six innings. This time was three innings. It was great, but maybe a six-inning game, five-inning game would be really cool. So I, those are some of my votes. Uh, let us know. I think that'd be really cool if you guys told us what other players you would like to see at an old-timers day.
1: I was just going to throw in, a thought about it right now. I want to see a pitches duel between Oliver Perez and John Main. Give me Oliver Perez versus John Main. I still wholeheartedly love those guys. If anybody has John Main or Oliver Perez, Mets gear... Um, send it my way um, Rob mentioned buying a Marlon Bird shirt off of you I'm not going to be doing that just send it to me um, so just you know guess what my address is and it might come to me but I would love to see Oliver Perez and John Mayne at old time his day
0: is Oliver Perez still playing though he was playing as recently as this year so he might we might have to wait a couple more years for Oliver Perez because I think he's still out there I actually used to have a John Maine shirt, Alex. I wish I still had it so I could give it to you. But I did have a John Maine shirt. I remember getting it for my birthday when I was maybe 12 or 13. I loved John Maine; He was one of my favorites. Really liked him. So uh, kind of on that, let's, uh, let's finish this off by remembering some guys. So, Alex, I know that you had someone in mind that you wanted to bring up. And then Alex will, of course, bring up a year and I'll name a guy. So, Alex, let's start with you, buddy.
1: So I bring up this guy uh, because he's super topical right now. My Mets legend for me is Chris Woodward. So Chris Woodward, as some of you might have recognized, did just get fired as the manager of the Texas Rangers. He follows a tremendous line of successful former obscure Mets to manage the Rangers. Uh, you might remember that before him was Brian Bannister, who was also a Met. Um, who managed the Rangers? So, te- so Chris Woodward, Chris Woodward, um, not much of a Mets career as a pinch. He was only ever a pinch hitter, uh, uh, a bench piece. He had a point zero six point yeah point zero six WAR. You no know, point six point six WAR zero point six WAR for the two thousand five um SNY Premier New York Mets. Uh, At the end of that year, I actually managed to get uh, me and my siblings, uh, Dean and Emily, if you're listening, love you too. Um, We got a bunch of signatures at the end of the year. We were at the second to last ever Expos game. It was Mets Expos and a bunch of Expos signed to baseball that I later used and lost. Uh, But we got our hat signed by Cliff Floyd, David Wright, and Chris Woodward. Uh, So I'll always remember Chris Woodward for that. Uh, You ask me, I'll tell you he's a good guy. Um, You ask people on the Texas Rangers, they'll probably also tell you he's a good guy. He was a net zero for the Mets. 0.6, as I mentioned, war from Fangraph, according to Fangraphs, for the Mets in 05. And in a similar amount of games played, about like 81 to 83 in both years, Uh, in 06. I forget all the time that he was actually on the 06 Mets as well, which makes sense because according to fan graphs, he had a, point zero, uh, a 0.0, a negative WAR for the Mets that year too. So not a negative, not a positive for the Mets, just a guy who was there, but he'll always hold a very, very dear place in my heart. So Alex Crigliano-Micelli selects Chris Woodward as his Mets legend of the day. Rob, I'm thinking let's give you 04. Let's give you 04. You were just a young man, just a just a boy in 04. What Mets legend could you pull out from 04?
0: And 04 is one of those teams where the Mets were just really not very good. 2002, 2003, 2004, some not so great years in Mets history, but plenty of Mets legends in that respect. So Let's kind of dig into the memory bank here for 04. I will say for 04, hmm, it's a good one. Why don't we do Braden Looper? I'm pretty sure he was on that team. We were talking about him earlier. Uh, let's just get a fact check on that one. I believe he was on the 04 Mets. I want to say he was. Braden Looper. 04 Mets, his first year with the team. He actually pitched pretty well that year. 270 ERA, 71 games, 83 innings. He had uh 307 FIP. Yeah, he actually pitched all right. I kind of remember him being a lot worse, maybe because his 05 season wasn't as good. He had a nearly four ERA with a five FIP. So, but that first year he let up a lot of hits, I guess is like his thing. He had a 1.2 whip, uh, 9.3 hit, uh, hits per nine. He struck didn't strike out that many guys. So he wasn't like an amazing player, but he had no case season that year for a team that was not great. So, yeah, Braden Looper is my guy. Um, Alex, do you have any parting thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No, I'm just imagining, like, I'm looking at this, and I don't remember Braden Looper ever <laughs> being good for the Mets. But this makes sense that he, he probably built his reputation uh, for the Mets. The fact that he was able to have some modest staying power with the Mets, and by modest staying power, I mean he spent another season with them um, in 05 where he was much less effective, but I guess he had built a strong, pretty strong reputation for himself in 'O four. but that's really really all I have left to give for, um, for this podcast.
0: All right, guys, we'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. Give us a follow on Twitter at Mets legends on Instagram at Mets point legends, Rate us on all of your streaming platforms, five stars. Give us some feedback. And if you want to yell at us, you can shoot us an email, MetsLegends at gmail.com, and we'll catch you guys next week. Send me the John Main shirt. Send him the John Main shirt. He's really not kidding. He's very angry in real life right now, okay? He's sweating and foaming at the mouth. Bye, guys. Please send help.